Hello, and welcome to Recruitment in the Modern World. I'm Shara Beckley, and in this episode, we focus on the topic of job advertisements, how to write them and how not to write them. To discuss this, I am pleased to have with me Anthony Haynes, Communications Director of FJ Wilson Talent Services. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Shara. Before we get into the world of job advertisements, perhaps we should explain to the listeners why we've called this episode, How Not to Write a Job Advertisement. Well, the thinking behind this is that in our work in talent acquisition, we also get to see a lot of job advertisements. And we've noticed that there are a number of recurring pitfalls. So our thinking is, if we can alert people to these pitfalls, then they will find them easier to avoid falling into them. Okay, so let's move on to the pitfalls themselves. Um, I can imagine there are quite a few, but to ensure this episode doesn't become too long, we've decided to limit ourselves to three pitfalls and following the theme of our previous podcasts, the bronze, the silver and the gold tips. So starting off, what's your bronze pitfall? Bronze pitfall is that when people produce person specifications, the specifications tend to be overburdened. And I think this is particularly true in the part devoted to attributes. So let me just explain quickly what I mean by attributes. Um, In HR, there are distinctions to be made between things like attributes, skills, competencies, and so on. And I'm not going to worry about those distinctions today. I think that's a discussion for another day. So I'm simply going to use the word attributes to mean all of these things. Now, what often happens is that when people are composing a job advertisement, they think about the job they want to fill. And they think about every single thing that the recruit (laughs) will need to do in that job. And then for each of those things, they think, well, what are the attributes that are required? for that and put that Mm. into the list of attributes, which sounds very logical, Mm. um, but it produces a lengthy list of attributes and sometimes running to several dozen. Okay. And why is that a problem? It becomes a problem in two ways. I would say a a minor and a major, really. The, The minor problem is that it becomes very difficult for prospective candidates to cover all their bases in their application. You know, you think, well, how long would the cover letter need to be? to meet all these uh, requirements. And the major problem is that I think having a lengthy list of attributes actually ends up subverting the main point of articulating the attributes in the first place. So what I mean by that is we, we draw up a list of attributes in order to help us make good decisions and in particular objective decisions about who we're going to hire. And then if someone says, well, you know, why, why did you hire this person rather than that person? Well, the answer is simple. They're better matched for the specification that we drew up. But if there are too many attributes, the likelihood of any single candidate making a good fit for all of them becomes very small. And then you're in a territory of having to weigh candidates up against each other without any objective tool for doing so. And that's where bias creeps back into the selection process and you end up making suboptimal hiring decisions. Right. So what we're saying here is keep that list of attributes manageably short. 
Yes, exactly. And I, I should add, employers often become aware of this problem themselves. They realize they have an unmanageable list and they try to reintroduce manageability by building in a distinction between essential attributes and desirable attributes. And in essence, that, that is a good idea. In practice, what often happens is nearly all the attributes end up being in the essential box rather than the uh, desirable box. So I recently helped someone who was applying for a junior researcher role mm. and the role, the specification had 40 attributes listed. Oh my goodness. That's four zero, yeah. And um, and guess how many of the forty were deemed essential? Well, thirty six were. Well, <laughs> well, you know, good luck with that one. Oh my goodness! Absolutely, <laughs> I think that point has been made very clear. Thank you, Anthony. And and so moving us uh, to the next point, the silver point. What is what is the silver point? A silver point is if you want to write a, write a bad advertisement, don't tell people what the purpose of the vacant role is. Uh, <laughs> and this is something I find fascinating. You know, if supposing we put together a focus group of all yes. the stakeholders in the recruitment process, and we said we asked them a question. We said, when you're out writing a job advertisement, do you think it would be good? to tell people what the purpose of the role is. <laughs> well, of course, everyone in the group would say, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, no one would say, oh, no, I think we should keep that a mystery, like suppress the purpose <laughs> of the role. Um, but if you look at actual advertisements, what you find is the reader's given loads of stuff, you know, the job title, the responsibilities, person specification, and then they're left to sort of read between the lines, as it were. They, they have to try and infer what the yeah. purpose of the job is. This is so true. I've definitely seen that before. So what exactly would the benefit be, this is play devil's advocate, of saying explicitly what the purpose of the role is? Well, again, I think there are two benefits. I, I think one benefit is to the potential applicants because they can look at it and think, ah, oh, right, yeah, I get it. Now I see what they need. And then they can um, uh, write a, a more intelligent application, a more helpful application as a result of it. But I think it was also a benefit to the employers. Um, one thing it does is if you make the purpose explicit, it makes you look again at the rest of the advertisement, mm. the responsibilities and the person specification and so on. And you ask yourself, well, is that, are those things actually aligned with the purpose? And it's, it's quite common to find that they're not perfectly aligned and actually there's a bit of revision needed there. The other thing it does is it um, helps to ensure that you have a consensus in-house on what the purpose of a role is. And often what you find is different people involved in the selection process on the hiring side actually have slightly different conceptions of what the purpose of the role is. Well, if those um, disagreements emerge only during or after the selection process, then you've got a problem. And um, incidentally, that often leads to argument. It's much better to smoke out those disagreements before you send the advertisement out. Absolutely. So that's the silver point, you know, really explaining explicitly what the purpose of the role is. And as you've outlined, Anthony, there is a lot of benefit, particularly for the employer um, as well, to ensure you're attracting the right talent and that they have the clear guidance to follow to ensure that they are best suited for that role. Indeed. So looking at our third and final, what's the gold point? 
I find the goal point slightly difficult to encapsulate in a phrase, but I think the best way I could put it is something like this. If you want to write a bad advertisement, avoid benchmarking. Right. Okay. And what do we mean by that exactly? Well, very often when I read a draft advertisement, um, I I like to play a game. I, I look at the list of all the requirements and I think to myself, what do I think the reward package, the remuneration and benefits, what, what, what's it going to be? And it's amazing how often once I've read through the, the list and I've made my guess and I then look down at the bottom and, and see the salary and, you know, mm. the pension and so on, how often the, the reward offered is lower than I was anticipating. And incidentally, it's hardly ever the other way around it's hardly ever that I think oh didn't think they'd be offering that much for this job so you know <laughs> you can't kind of get an advertisement that says we want someone who meets dozens of high level requirements you know possession of a Nobel <laughs> Prize desirable and we're going to pay you 25 grand a year in central London oh my goodness absolutely definitely seen that in person um so why does this mismatch occur? I think it's because in, in a changing labour market, mm. it, it's quite difficult to know what a realistic rate is, especially if you're not a large employer. Okay. And actually, that's, that's one of the good reasons for using a recruitment agency. That If you're using the right one, one who's got experience of your market, uh, they should be able to advise you on what a realistic rate is. I mean, it's worth saying here that often our clients come to us because they've tried to advertise and fill a role just on their own. And then they have failed to elicit the sort of type and quality of field that they wanted. And very often that's Mm. just because the you know, they haven't really benchmarked the offer. There we go. And that's the final point. Use benchmarking as a way to ensure that your offer is realistic. Indeed. Well, Anthony, once again, you've given us plenty of practical ideas for both how not to write a job advertisement and how to write one. Thank you. Just to quickly recap the top three tips. So our bronze is keeping that list of attributes manageably short. Our second, which is silver, is explaining explicitly what the purpose of the role is. And we know that there are many benefits for the employer to get, you say, would you agree, get your mm-hmm. house in order? Um, and then the golden final tip is using benchmarking as a way to ensure your offer is realistic, as we've just discussed. So to finish off, I know that you're communications director of FJ Wilson Talent mm-hmm. Services. What is your company's offer in the area of talent acquisition? We do recruitment, uh, not across the board. We offer recruitment services to okay. uh, specialist recruitment services. So our clients come from the sector of um, professional bodies, uh, membership associations, uh, training providers, awarding bodies, that is that that area. And we don't work on every type of role. We work on professional roles from mid-level up to senior level. Okay. And where can listeners go to find out a bit more? Our website has a mercifully simple URL, which is (laughs) fjwilson.com, fjwilson.com. And the phone number is very prominently displayed, but it's uh, 0203. One nine five three six zero zero. I'll say that again: zero two zero three one nine five three six zero zero. 
Great. Well, thank you, Anthony. And thank you to our listeners. And please do join us for our next episode of Recruitment in the Modern World. Music for this episode comes courtesy of the composer Harry Chalmers.